Hello and welcome to the IJJC Mentors Podcast. As editorial fellows, we wanted to learn from the amazing leaders in our field and take inspiration from their experiences. Today, we are honored, and I believe I speak myself, to have the pleasure to speak with Professor René Pareja. He's a gynecologic oncologist and minimally invasive surgeon currently working at the Storga Oncology Clinic in Medellin and at the National Cancer Institute in Bogota, Colombia. He's an associate editor of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer and is a council member of the International Gynecological Cancer Society. He also served as an international mentor for the Hospital General San Juan de Dios in Guatemala through the IJGC Global Curriculum and Mentorship Program. And with me today is Emma from Australia, Ceci from Argentina, Sarah from Germany, Natalia from Spain, Arthur from Taiwan, and I am Eric Estrada from Guatemala. Thank you for joining us, Professor Pareja. And now I give the, the word to Natalia Rodriguez, who is going to start this uh, great opportunity of having you here and ask you personally the questions that we would like to highlight from your life and your experience. Thank you for this kind invitation, guys. Thank you, Eris, uh, Eric, for the nice presentation. So I have some questions for you, Rene. So the first one is, uh, what led you to Gainong? And could you still choose this specialty? <laughs> the, man the mandatory question. Uh, I started residency in obstetrics and gynecology as, as all of us, because we love the mother, the fetus, the gestation process. But early in second year, I started to see uh, gynecology, gynecology procedures, just gynecological ones. And I made an elective rotation with a gynecology oncologist here in Medellin. And the first time I saw a pelvic lymphadenectomy, I said to myself, I want to do that. I, I love, I like how the surgeon can see everything, the anatomy, the retroperitoneum. When I saw my first paraortic implant nodalization, and I remember what has up, the, up to the inferior mesenteric artery, I was amazed. I was amazed how clear is the anatomy, how careful was the surgeon, the exposure of the field. You can see every single structure in the female pelvic anatomy. I was mesmerized about that. And I promised me to become, if, if, if I can, in a gynecologic oncology surgeon, because the, it does require the most precise knowledge of the anatomy and the surgical relationships. And I love that. It, it's as reading a, a, a book, uh, a netter book, even better, but, but life. So the, that was the reason. First, the anatomy. Second, how you can change the stories of the patients, how you can avoid deaths, how you can produce delays in relapses, how you can cure. And third, the relationship that you can establish with your patients, how, how close you can establish relation. 
how you can comfort to walk with the patient along the way, along the disease. Sometimes to cure, sometimes to death. Uh, I love that part because a gynecology oncology patient is a patient for the whole life of a specialist. And I love that. Okay. I mean, thank you. Thank and you. Natalia, of course, my decision <laughs> would be the same. Always and always and ever and ever. <laughs> Actually, that, that happened to me as well when I was in my, in my first year of the residency. When I saw uh, Luis Chiva in a in a presentation like exaggeration or something like this, and I remember me like I want to be like him in the in the near future. So, so thank you. Um, I have two more questions. Uh, the second question is, what have been the most exciting moments in your career? Um, I, I many. Many, I remember many. Uh, <laughs> the first one, of course, uh, is when uh, I was accepted as a fellow at the Instituto Nacional de Cancerología. was the starting point. Uh, second, when, when I visited um, by three months, I spent three months with Pedro Ramirez in 2008, and definitively that visit changed my life changed the view that I had about the, my specialty. Uh, and then a few other moments, such as my first radical trachelectomy, the born of the first baby after a successful radical trachelectomy, uh, the first uterine transposition, uh, lab trial and <laughs> the success surrounding it, um, the recognition that recently IGCS gave me for the work that I've done in, in Latin America. Uh, good stories, good results, good outcomes for some patients. Mm -hmm. This is a specialty that will give you many, many special, special mom moments. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So my last question is um, what was the worst moment in your career and how did you overcome? Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, you know, uh, being a gynecologist oncologist in Latin America is different to being a gynecologist oncologist in the United States or in Europe. <laughs> when you finish your, your training, uh, the other day you can you can get an appointment in, in a safe place with the best technology, with good partners. In Latin America, it's pretty difficult. And the, my worst moment was when we were fired from my work at IDC in Medellin, Colombia after 13 years working for that company. Um, there was an administrator and after I, in January process, they defined to fire 25 surgical oncologists. So we were fired. Mm. They called us in at the end of July and in August, I didn't have work. From 25 that were fired, 21 came back to the institution 
and remain there working on their, their terms. And four of us remain outside the institution. And it was a great opportunity to speak with myself. It was a huge hit to my ego because as a surgeon, we consider ourselves as special people, some kind of gifted people. And that's wrong. We are just people working for the woman. So we have skills, we can, we can operate, we can do research, we can do some things, but we're not special. We are just people with a commitment and our commitment is to take care of the women. And I spend time reading, jogging, spend time with my family, with my wife. Uh, I started to work less, less surgeries, less office, uh, but started to do more research, more writing papers, more review, more networking, more collaboration, uh, attending more um, academical activities, meetings, etc. And at the end, I grew up. I think I grew up. Um, my career also grew up, <laughs> not working there, working in other places. And I learned, I learned that the question is not why this happened to me. The question is for what? For what person you have to be after this experience? This is one of my worst moments in my life as a gynecologic oncology. And I have over overcome it as, as I explained. Thank you. Thank you, Rene. Thank you for your answers. My pleasure. <laughs> I think uh, the next one is going to be Edma. Or, sorry, Sara. Sara is not here. No, it's going to be Arthur. Arthur is going to take over, over Sarah's question. Uh, hi, uh, Professor Pereja. It's uh, my honor to be here to have these uh, to ask these questions to you. So I've got a few. And uh, the first one is, if you had a time machine, where in the past would you travel and what would you change? Another mandatory question. Arthur, <laughs> I'll appreciate if you can call me just Renee, not professor. This is a very informal space. No, no worries <laughs> okay. at all. Just call me okay. Renee, try to do it, and that's it. And okay. If I can we'll travel in the time, in the past, uh, I would like to be present in every moment that an anti-vaccine movement was created anti-vaccine ideas were generated and tried to avoid it every time. You know, the anti-vaxxer, anti-vaccine movement is, it presets before the, the vaccination, but since the 16th, 17th century, there are kind of anti-vaccine movements. From there to Andrew Wakefield and the scandal on, on Lancet and the autism relationship, etc. If I have the power, I would like to avoid 
every single moment because being an anti-vaxxer is the strong proof of the stupidity of the mankind. Okay, thank you so much for the for the answers. And now I have uh, another question. Uh, uh, so you have a particular interest in minimally invasive surgeries. And what advice would you give to the earlier career uh, consultants about advancing their skills? Excellent, excellent. I have several several uh, several tips. First, get a mentor. Learn from a very experienced guy. See how to he or she move the instruments, handle the tissue, open the spaces, how this stand up in, in the surgery. See he or she style. This is the most important thing to have a mentor. Second, training. Get a black box and at home, move the, the, the grasp, do sutures, dissect at home in a in a in a toolbox with your with your own with your own materials at home. This is really, really important. Third, try to get involved in a formal course, in a formal course about the basic of laparoscopy, optics, uh, tower, lenses, uh, type of instrumentations, energy sources, um, etc. And four, record. Record your procedures when you are operating because you will have the opportunity to compare the old you versus your current you. <laughs> and I saw it, seeing my surgeries, my first surgeries, uh, I barely recognized me. I, I think to myself, it was the me? <laughs> because you, you have the opportunity to dissect better, to expose better, to move slower. You, at, at the beginning, you, you are hurry. You, you, you want to finish the, the surgery. But you don't you want to finish the surgery. You have to enjoy every single step of the surgery. And adding step by step, you will finish your surgery <laughs> very quickly. But it's just adding step by step. So I have those, those four tips for those interested in improving their skills in minimal invasive surgery. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Rennie. And, and uh, while you were saying these four tips, I, I remember this, that I, I saw you write in social media that I talked to. Uh, I also mentioned to Eric that you said that uh, if a surgeon says that he uh, never have any complications, then he might be lying because that is not possible. If you keep on doing surgeries, then you will meet some uh, complications and you have to face it and think about it and improve. Uh, that's from what I remember. And I was, uh, I was thinking about that question and uh, that, uh, of, of what you said. And so uh, really appreciate your, uh, your answers. And okay. uh, I, 
Uh, and uh, I have a last question. Uh, so you have been a key investigator in numerous international collaborations, for instance, LAC, Conserve, ERTA. Uh, can you share with us your experience in international collaboration? Where Were there any obstacles that you, you encountered and how did you uh, fix it, figure it out? Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you very much for asking. Uh, I have to recognize I've been very, very lucky because as I mentioned before, the visit to MD Anderson and to meet Pedro and the rest of the gang, uh, Coleman, Frumo, Kathleen, uh, gave me, a, and gave me a, a, a lot of opportunities. Uh, I organized uh, probably in 2010, a meeting at, at Clinical Las Americas and we invited uh, Nadim Aburrustum, Pedro Ramirez and Kathleen Smeller a uh, hundred of gynecology oncologists from Colombia attended that meeting. And after that meeting, Kathleen Pedro offered to us to become a sister institution of MD Anderson because we operate, we saw patients, we visit the, the, the grounds and the IDC become a sister institution. And the, there was a kind of huge network of collaborating institutions all across the world. So I met a lot of people in, in, during this collaboration. Then Pedro and Kathleen started Lactral and Conserve almost simultaneously. So I sent my videos and I was accepted. And I finally had the opportunity to, to accrue more than 40 patients in the Lactral. I've been lucky having a very, very brilliant research coordinator at that time doing all the hard job because some researchers, I remember Reitan Ribeiro from Brazil doing by himself all the paperwork for, for every patient at the beginning. So this is exhausting for, for, a, for a clinician. And Kathleen also gave us the opportunity to participate in Conserve. And we met Aldo Lopez from Peru, Audrey Sonoda from, from Brazil, David Cantu from Mexico, and a lot of friends in Argentina, Chile. It is a, it is a naturally created network, but unintended. It, it was almost an organic fluid that create that, that work of collaboration. So um, we started to accrue patients for across Latin America for all those trials. Same for IRTA. Um, I remember the, the origin of IRTA was the afternoon after the presentation, the Pedro's presentation of Black Trial in New Orleans. <laughs> we were in the roof of the hotel discussing about what's next. And what if we try to find the answer to is the same uh, minimal invasive safety in radical trachelectomy versus uh, radical hysterectomy, of course. Mm, it, a prospective design cannot be done, but a retrospective design was possible. So IRTA warmed that afternoon and we finally could publicity it um, at American Journal of Sexual Gynecology recently. But uh, it does require uh, a tip of luck, the fortune and constant work. So if you receive the opportunity, take it, but you have to demonstrate 
that you are able to accomplish with the task. And it is not easy. It is not easy for Latin Americans. The first barrier is the language. It is really difficult to us. And the second, we are educated for seeing patients in the office, see admitted patients and do surgeries. That's it. We have not received education in reviewing process, in peer review, in writing papers, and even less in research. So we have clear disadvantages, but if you take the opportunities, you, you can change the reality of your reality uh, and the reality of, of the region. Thank you so much, Rainy. You are so humble. I think that it is the, your constant uh, energetic and uh, hard work that made it, that all of this possible. I, I guess a lot of people get these opportunities, but you, you, you seized the moment. And congratulations. Thank you. Now it's Emma's turn, right, Emma? Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Renee, for all your questions and the answers to all the questions. It's just it's such a pleasure to be able to be here and listen to the stories about your career. When you were talking then, I well, how you how you then mentor early career consultants who are interested in surgery related research. You know, how do we get young early career consultants to take on a research component and and what steps to mentoring them are really important to that? So what are the crucial issues with early career mentorship? Yeah, and, and particularly for the, the research component and getting surgeons to become researchers too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for that question. Uh, in my career, I tried to, to provide my mentees with the professor or the mentor that I that I never had. So I learned during the process and now my mentees, the first thing that they, that they need to do is to review papers. So I have a kind of lab, I have a file of all papers submitted to journals, very bad ones, <laughs> other, other bad papers. <laughs> and I send those papers to them and I gave them two weeks for receiving their comments. This is the first test. In the first test, I lost 90% of, of the interested people because they usually think that is an, an easy process and they send me a review of four lines, 10 lines, and that, that's not, not possible. So the process is usually stopped in, in that point. With the 10%, I start to get more, more opportunities, uh, writing a protocol, including in an open uh, research project, mm, doing, a, doing a systematic literature review. Please uh, collect me those five, six papers and give me a table because I need it for that thing, etc. And third, if the mentee, passes all those steps, then the, the crucial is to give it, to give him or to give her an own project. So do you have an idea? Yes. What is the idea? Oh, the idea is that, okay. 
Therefore, we can write something about that is that. Uh, let's do a systematic literature review on the issue. So to give the opportunity to the person to be the first, but not to be the first for showing off as first. The opportunity to working as a first. The first author had to write the whole manuscript and had to support a very demanding and annoying mentor <laughs> to have the patience <laughs> to survive to all the reviews to the manuscript and usually this is a, a very nice moment between the mentor and the and the mentee and finally you can you can have a a person able to review manuscripts, comprehend scientific literature, understand the difference among papers, what is different from a cohort study, um, prospective study, uh, meta-analysis, uh, systematic literature review, to write a paper, at least from the basics. And once you have done all the things, you have a new member in your team. Mm. We are all the time recruiting members and we have a network of kind of platoons in every country made by soldiers uh, able to, to do the job mm. with the yeah. willingness to participate, with the willingness to be different. And I love that. And that's the way, just giving opportunities, um, increasing the difficulty of the opportunities. And I think it has worked. <laughs> At least to me, it has been, has been a, a good experience with my, with my mentees. Eric, yeah. is that a good experience? Definitely, definitely. Has it been a great experience with you? <laughs> Believe me, what he's, what he's telling right now, it has been all, the way, all that way. <laughs> okay, he didn't yeah. miss one step he didn't miss one step <laughs> it's such a good test Renee like I, I love the review paper idea because I never it's always hard to know what to do with very enthusiastic junior members who want to get involved and then they kind of fizzle off into the distance and you never see them again like it's hard to know how to put them to the test right I like that idea yeah, a lot of people who want to be different, but few of them are willing to pay the price. <laughs> yeah. What about when you're when people ask you what you look for in a Ghanaian oncology fellow? What do you want those fellows to be like? What do you look for when you're recruiting to your training program? In my in my fellows. Hmm. Okay. The first is passion. I'm, I'm, I'm a passionate person. I'm looking for passionate persons. Second, discipline. I ask uh, um, to my students, please read at least, at least one article daily. Read, not study the article, just read it. Download and read it. Then put in your computer and the other day, during the uh, breakout in, in, during the surgeries, study the paper, highlight, uh, and then, but at least 
read one. If you read one paper every day, at the end of the month, you will read 20. And at the end of the year, you will read 180. And certainly, this will make a difference in the treatment you can offer to your patient compared with people who doesn't read. <laughs> That's my first advice, read at least one, not study. The study is another thing. Mm -hmm. But all of us have at least 15, 20 minutes in a day. You can read a paper completely in 10, 15 minutes. It's, it's really simple. So first, passionate, passion. Second, discipline. Three, commitment, mm. commitment. And four, serious work. If I, if I give a task and I say, I need this manuscript for 10 days away, I expect that if I'm not wrong, I will receive that manuscript before that days, if I'm not wrong. But this is when the fellow is under my direct command, is part of our group, is one mm -hmm. of our soldiers, okay? So commitment, passion, responsibility. And the last one, <laughs> the last but not least, joy. The fellows have to find the joy in everything they're doing. All of them are happy operating, of course, and doing <laughs> parotid dissections and doing something. All of them are happy. Uh, are less happier when are reviewing papers or when writing manuscripts, but they have the task to find the joy in every single activity because we have to be in integral doctors. We are not just surgeons. We are scientists. We are researchers. We are writers. We are readers. We need to take care of the patients. We have, we have to cope with failure. We have to accept the deaths of the patients. So you are not, not just one thing. I, I, gynecology, oncology is a sum of a lot of things that added can contribute uh, in, in creating a, a great professional, a great choice for the patient. Thank you. You get so much joy out of your work. And so our last question is, my last question is, what makes you happy outside of work? <laughs> many things, many, <laughs> many, things. Many, many things. Um, I used to read, um, more, more before, I have not, not much time, but no medical literature, yet novels or kind of uh, things like that. I used to run. I like jogging, uh, to go to the, to travel, uh, to listen music. I love salsa. Salsa is, <laughs> I like a lot. And I have a hobby. My hobby is uh, a sport called billiard. Three, oh, yeah. cushion, three cushion billiard. It's uh, similar to the table, but without mm -hmm. holes in the corners. Play just with just three balls, and the aim is to 
to touch one of the ball, then three sides of the table, then touch the other one. It, it looks pretty difficult, but it's, it's a kind that, that you can learn. Um, I'm playing that sport since I was a teenager, and I used to play at least two or three times a week because mm. it makes me really, really happy. <laughs> Great. And now into Ceci, right? Yes, thank you. I, I love the salsa part. Uh, Rene, I, I really thank you for being here with us today. I know you say you, you don't deserve it, but for us it's, it's an honor. And we thought this, uh, this podcast would be super, super interesting as you are a representative of, of Latin America for us. So it is, well, we thought you will give us a different point of view of what we are usually what we are used to to hear in, in other meetings. So thank you really much for this for this meeting. So my first question is, what do you think is the best part of being a gynecologist in Latin America? And which do you think is the worst part? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, it's such a difficult question. The, <laughs> I think the best part is uh, according to our nature, to way of doing the things, we establish relationships mm, very easy. And being a gynecologist oncologist in Latin America is the opportunity to have a lot of friends, a lot of friends uh, among the other gynecologist oncology, anesthesiologists from other cities, from other countries to establish networks. And it is amazing because um, the English word networking in Latin American language is friendship. So we are, we are, we are all friends, I have a lot of friends in Argentina, you know, Ceci, you know, Julian, but I, I cannot mention because I'm afraid to miss any person, but we all have friends in Argentina, Chile, Mexico, Peru, Guatemala, Ecuador, Venezuela. So when you organize the meetings, you see the same face and when writing papers, you see the same face, the same names. And in the opposition of the, what happened in Argentina or in Colombia many years ago, uh, where the gynecology, oncology or the surgeons were almost enemies. Now we act in Latin America as a family. And it, as I said before, this was a, a, a natural phenomenon. We are not, we have a, a chat, a WhatsApp chat with almost 180 people from, from, from all across Latin America. And I used to say, we are not a group. We are a movement. We are a living movement because you can see the transformation happening in Argentina, in Chile, in Brazil. Just, just think in Brazil, what happened in gynecology, oncology in Brazil in the last 10 years under the leadership of Audrey Sonoda, Reitan Ribeiro, Glauco Baiocchi, Renato Moretti, Ricardo Dos Reis. A lot of people doing serious work, but uh, without any ambition to be different, to collaborate. They are not looking for for the hotspots. They are not looking for being recognized. They are looking for doing their job in a better way. 
I, I think that is true. So this is important and this is the most remarkable positive aspect of being a gynecologic oncologist in Latin America. Now, the dark side, uh, unfortunately, as I said before, it's different to being a gynecologic oncologist in the United States because you finish and you will probably have a job the next week. In Latin America, most of the gynecologic oncologists have to do obstetrics and to attend deliveries. Uh, most of 60% of gynecologic oncology in Latin America are surgical oncologists. So they are surgeons in the base, but devoted to gynecologic oncology. So they can operate a radical hysterectomy, but also a thyroidectomy or a nomectomy, gastrectomy, colectomy, etc. And additionally, a fraction of them also do breast surgery. And in Latin America, a gynecology oncology have, has to work a lot for obtaining a um, respectable reimbursement. So the reimbursement rate for the amount of work in Latin America is pretty different to the to Europe or to or to um, United States, Canada, and there is a high load of patients and huge amount of surgeries, not always done under the best environment, and there's no time. There's no time for review and purpose no time for studying, for reading, and even less for writing. So it is rare in Latin America to find a person that can write or that, or that can participate in relevant projects in our field. So that, that's the, the worst part. The gynecological oncology is not recognized as an official specialty in any country but Mexico. Mexico has their own war of oncological surgeons that certify the people that can perform surgical surgeries in our field. But for the rest of the, of the countries, there is no a formal recognition. So any general gynecologist can operate any kind of tumors. And that, that is difficult. Yeah, thank you very much, René. See, that's why we, we really believe this is a great opportunity, this editorial fellowship and this kind of, of post-degree training as we, we don't have here. We have fellowships for to be a gynecology oncology, but we don't have the training and they don't give us the time to research and, and read and write. So these uh, kind of opportunities are really helpful for us and, and seeing examples as you, for example, uh, that do it a lot, uh, well, it's an example for us. And this is related to my second question, is that um, you work a lot and you do a lot of research and you have patients and you have your family. So do you have any advice to us on how to be su successful in all these different activities and, and not die trying <laughs> to do all of that? <laughs> Such a difficult question, because it depends on many, on many factors. Uh, what is your load of patients? What is your load of surgery? What is your time availability? 
I think you have a, a small child. If you have a small child, your time yes. will be less if you if you have if you having him. Uh, depends on, on many on many aspects. My recommendation is try to organize your time. So there is a sacred time for you. And for me, it was nine to 11 during a lot of years. From nine to 11, I was dedicated to reading papers, to study. Probably the first 10, 15 years of my career. Uh, at the end, this time was, was less and tried to find time during the, during the surgeries during the lunch time, uh, weekends, unfortunately, um, family time had to be sacrificed sometimes. Not, not, not all the doctors receive payment for doing research, as MD Anderson. At MD Anderson, uh, the doctor, the attending physicians there receive payment for doing surgeries, for doing clinic, uh, for, for research. Uh, for the rest of us, <laughs> our payment came from surgeries and for clinics, and we do the research just for the applause, for 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 free. But you have to find the the joy in in, in doing these kind of things. You you find the joy in 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 being different, in in to convince others that they also can write, then they also can review papers. So the time is just uh, an issue that can be, that can be organized. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. Once I, I hired a time manager consultant, a woman, uh, and <laughs> she visited me and she asked me, okay, show me, your calendar, show me your projects, and show me how is your time. At three days, she quits. She quits the job. <laughs> because <laughs> she sent me something like, it is impossible. This is not real. So how you can do all those things? And it's taking every single moment to to reply then I learned, I learned some, some things from, from her. Very, for example, if you receive an email and you can solve it in less than five minutes, solve it right now. If you are not interested, delete it right now. Avoid noise in your brain. If not interested, delete it. It needs your attention later, just classify as pending. Try to do not open social networks during your work journeys. So no Instagram, no Facebook, no WhatsApp, no Twitter during the clinic or during the, the, your, your time for, for reading. There is a dedicated time during the day to review those social networks. Otherwise you, you, you will get crazy. But if you organize your time, if you have the energy, obviously I have now 50, probably 20 years ago, I had more energy than I currently have. <laughs> but 
you can do it. You can do it. That does does that makes difference the the possibility to accomplish all your tasks. Obviously, there will be tasks that you will fail. They will be deadlines that you won't accomplish. My advice is forgive yourself and move on. The life goes on. Forgive yourself. Forget about it. Then try again and try again because a successful person is a person who has failed a lot of times. Yeah, that's it. Don't, don't worry about it. The things will happen. Just honest work, discipline, passion, and the things will happen as you wish. Thank you very much, Rene. That is a, a, a great advice. Sometimes we are really hard to, to ourselves. And one last question uh, regarding to, to the difficulties that maybe we, we face sometime in Latin America. So have you ever in, at any point of your career um, thought of moving away uh, to another country? Thank you very much. Yes, yes. But I started to happen when I was 40 year old. So if I move to the United States, I have to study one or two years for the steps, then to apply for the steps, then to do the residence again. So two years studying, four years doing the residency, and after finishing the residency, to apply and to do a matching process for doing four or another four years of residency in gynecology oncology, 10 years. And I was 40 when I considered the idea. So forget about it. <laughs> Remain in Colombia and try, try to do your work as best as you as you can, and and that's it. It's the only the only uh, the only time that, that I that I thought that I considered to to move to another place. But I think it would be better for my for my life, for my family, for my career, for my network, for my mentees, for my friends. The life will put you when you will be more useful. Thank you very much, René. My pleasure, Zezi. And uh, now it's my turn to ask the questions. <laughs> I feel also very nervous also. I will confess it, confess it. <laughs> I have never had the chance to like question you like this before, but... Um, you have been an outstanding leader for Latin America. You have gave participation to many centers in Latin America, also into practice changing trials. In your own words, how did you do this or how do you make it happen? Two things, I mentioned one, I've been lucky. Uh, I've been in the right place with the right person doing the right thing at MD Anderson, uh, IRCAT, in Barretos with Odri Sonoda during many years. So you have a small dose of fortune. And two, take the task, take the opportunity. If the, if the life is giving you an opportunity, take it, do not hesitate. Uh, I'm not be able, I'm afraid, I'll fail doesn't matter. Every time all the people is failing, 
Uh, let me tell you a story. I started a course at Harvard University on this is a very important course. Uh, one year, uh, I spent two, five days in Harvard in person before the pandemic. And then you have to work online. Mm, I learned about epidemiology, clinical epidemiology, applied the statistics. Finally, I failed. I quit because I wasn't able to complete all the amount of work that this task represented to me. I lost money. I lost time. Okay, I'm all right with that. I'm right with that because you can fail. You, I said, I, I said, forgive yourself and move on. Find another project, find another idea, do another thing that you can complete. Mm, that's it. Mm, don't think too much in the past because if we think too much in the past, we're gonna get depressed. If we think too much in the future, we're gonna get anxious. So think in your present, change your present. It's the only thing you can change, your present. Work in your present. That's my advice, work in your present. Thank you, Remy, that's an incredible answer. Um, my next question translates into this. Uh, all the ones that we have personally met you consistently comment that you're an incredible energetic person, but you translate also these qualities into the teaching process, but just out of curiosity, what is the one value, one value that you wouldn't trade to contribute to what happened, succeed, made you successful today? For all the questions that you sent to me, this is the most difficult to find because a lot of values came to came to my mind, but definitely is hope, hope, hope to go with your patience to the end, hope to be better doctors, hope to be better persons, hope to become different to the other peoples. The hope that the things can change. The hope that if you put together opinion leaders, natural leaders in different countries, we can change the reality. Not only my reality, not in my city, not in my country, in Latin America. As did this already happen the story of gynecology oncology in Latin America is one today and was a different one just 10, 15 years ago. And this just was based on hope. We have the right to have the hope that the things can be different and work every day for making the things different better for us, better for our patients, better for our residents, and better for families. At the end, at the end, you will be 
a better person. Mm -hmm. So my value is hope. I firmly believe in hope. Thank you, thank you, Rene. And uh, my last question is, if you had the possibility of going back in time, what advice would you give to Rene Pareja at the beginning of his career? <laughs> Get calm, baby. Get calm. <laughs> okay. At the beginning, I, I was a kind of train, a flashlight. Uh, wanted to, to finish everything quick and to absorb all the knowledge. No, my advice, <laughs> it will be get calm. Okay, thank you. That's a that's a really honest <laughs> answer. Um, he, well, we like to thank you very much for your time, and we also want to be respectful of your time, also. And on behalf of all the fellows, we'd like to thank you very much for the honest answers and for the knowledge that you have transmitted us today. And uh, we are very pleased to have you in, uh, in this moment. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you very much. My, my, my last word is an invitation to all of you. You were editorial fellowships. All of you have learned during those months, please, Give it to another people. Give it to your residents. Give always, because the knowledge has no honor. You have the commitment to give freely all the knowledge that you already have. My last advice. Thank you very much, my dear friends. <laughs>